Welcome to Choreographing the City. Morning Conversations, part of the artistic residency of choreographer and Teatro Mundi fellow Dr. Adeshola Akinley. Hosted by Professor Gedimina Urbonas at MIT's Art, Culture and Technology program and supported by MIT Center for Art, Science and Technology. Akinley's residency explores emerging lexicons across dance making and city making through choreographing the city. In this podcast, Akinley and Urbonas are joined by guests in a series of eight morning conversations. In this second episode, we discuss preciseness, spontaneity, and compositions coming together of space and movement with choreographer Diane McIntyre. Ms. McIntyre is a 2019 Dance USA Honor Awardee and 2016 Doris Duke Artist Award recipient. Since 1972, her choreography extends across the fields of concrete dance, theater, and film. She is the founder of Sounds in Motion Studio, and her work has been performed by Dance Theater of Harlem and Dallas Black Dance Theater. something end up the way that you intended it we were talking about the sort of parameters that maybe inhibit we were talking particularly about design like um, from Ellie's perspective this idea of sort of the rules and regulations point people towards repeating the same problems or repeating the same absences of consideration for the same pe for certain people and we started to talk a little bit with about choreography as a more fluid responsive way of working but you could end up thinking that choreography was somehow a, a sort of freer less precise engagement that there was sort of this more precise numbered rules and regulations type method that could be illustrated in say the designer an engineer was making and then that a choreographer was a little bit more trying to i think people we used words like seduce people into doing things or kind of nudge people into doing things but actually it might be interesting to look at choreography not as the opposite to something that was quite rigid but a different kind of preciseness i'm inviting diane to talk a little bit about her choreographic process as a way of demonstrating and showing this different kind of preciseness with the idea that maybe there are different kinds rather than there are alternatives to like this is an alternative to that so diane would you mind saying a little bit about that idea of preciseness and we've spoken mm -hmm. before about responsiveness and spontaneous um composition and how and your work okay all right so i work in two ways related to uh, preciseness. As a choreographer, I, I will speak about choreography in the pure concert dance. I'm, I'm not going to speak today unless it comes up about collaborative type of choreography for when I'm working with a, a director for theater. I'm just going to speak in as an independent choreographer. So when I'm working on certain movements, I come into the studio with ideas of what I have in mind to see the dancers do. The ideas could be an image I have from nature. It could be an idea I have from a poem. 
It can be an idea I have for a theme that I want to bring forward. And I also have an idea movement-wise what I want the dancers to do in terms of movement. Now, some, I, I'm speaking about myself. There are some choreographers who have exact, precise movements they come into the studios with that they want the dancers to do those exact precise movements that they have developed on their own before they arrived in the studio. For my own way of working, I have a sketch of the movement I have in mind. Sometimes I may have one particular move I have in mind. When I go into the studio, I will expand that movement by demonstrating it myself. When I see the dancers come back with what they feel I'm doing, there are times when what I see them do, and I want them to try to copy what I'm doing. Now, over the years, my particular um, uh, physical adeptness is not the same as it was when I was 25 years old. Okay. At the same time, I have more, a little more, I can't say wisdom. I've had more experience over time. So the dancers, if they're professional and they work with me for a while, even if I'm not doing, they know what I have in mind. Even if I want a leg to fly up, fly up to the side like that, I can express that and they know what I mean. After I see them presenting what it is that I have asked them to do, sometimes their interpretation of it is more exciting to me than what I heard, saw in my head. At that time, I'm like, oh my goodness, I like that. And then if they're a group of dancers, I'll say, let everybody do it like that. And then, so in that way, I have the openness to draw from the interpretation of the dancers. That's one, and then I will continue like that through the whole uh, thematic section that I'm, that I'm working on. Sometimes, I will drill over and over again until the work is exactly like I see it. The exact way I see it could be the way it transformed from my seeing some of the dancers interpreting it in a way that was different from what I had in mind. However, when I capture what it is I have in mind from working with them and getting some ideas from them, then I will often drill it until it is precise, okay? <laughs> until it is precise. And it's like, yes, in this particular part, I want everybody to look as close to exactly alike as possible. At the same time, I want their own personality to shine through so that they don't look like robots. Okay, 
their own personality, even if it, even if the theme is not some kind of uh, narrative or story. I still want to see the human part of the dancer come through. So we have a merging of the precision so that everybody's say so everybody's arm is at the same height over their head or they are all uh, bending their knees and so that makes them all at the same level from the floor. At the same time, you still experience that person as Peter or Sarah. Their own humanity is not erased from that particular precision. That's one way that I work. Then in that same particular piece, I might have a section that is what Adishola just called spontaneous composition, where I will give the dancers a theme or an idea or a task. And that could happen for an endless amount of time. It could happen in, I could say, you will do this, what I'm going to ask you to do for 30 seconds or for a minute and a half, or for two minutes. Now they don't have a clock that they're looking at. They have to feel inner time consciousness, what I have in mind. In that time, I might say that during that time, all the movements you are doing never come off the floor, never, you are never standing. And everything, you and everything you're doing must have curves. So you must do curvy movement, no straight lines, all curvy movement, and all of it is done on the floor. What I mean is that you're not standing up. And you have two minutes to do that particular, though your own invention, your own spontaneous composition. And at the end of that two minutes, you will come back into that precision section. So those are a couple of ways that I work in creating, in creating my movement. Now there's some choreographers who use the dancers as their choreographic tools completely. They come into a studio, they have an idea, and they ask the dancers to improvise on that idea. The idea could be something dramatic. It could be something linear. Linear, what I meant is the way you move through the space or the way you define curves or straight lines. That's very big. I connect that to architecture, okay. It, we, we work a lot with the shapes of the body. So, so the choreographer might come into the studio and say, okay, I want you to work with this particular theme, or I'm putting on this music and let me hear what you will do with it. Then the choreographer will select individual moves they like from what they're saying, and then that becomes their choreography. And they have a way they put it together with the individuals in the, who are in their group, in their space. And then sometimes they acknowledge that the choreography has come from the group along with them, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they just acknowledge that it's their choreography. And that's a way that a number of choreographers work, so that they work collaboratively with their company, exploring, and then pulling from what they see 
the dancers are doing and then bring that together in an expression that actually expresses what the choreographer has in mind. However, they use the dancers as tools directly to help them develop, develop their choreography. Diane, could you say a little bit, um, we've spoken before about there being some a sort of connection that a performer has that touches a, a place that you, you want your choreography to, to reach that place and how you help the dancers reach that, maybe describe that place and then how you help the dancers reach that place. Because as you were talking about preciseness, it's an aesthetic, but it, it's an aesthetic for the purpose of touching of, of the heart of the, beyond the, the, the dancer into the audience. Okay, I have a certain way of looking at, in the dance world, of course, I, because I hear that many of you have the interest or the background in dance. And as you know, maybe as you are in your studies, developing an engineering or architecture, you have a whole grueling period. <laughs> I shouldn't say grueling, grueling and joyous period <laughs> when you are studying to learn all the ins and outs, the techniques, the uh, practical. In dance, of course, we have that for years where you're studying the technical aspects of allowing your body to do whatever it is that a choreographer might have in mind to ask you to do. Okay, we study that technique in detail over and over again. All right, so when you get into the stage where you are in the performative area, where you actually performing choreography that has been that has been developed or you are improvising, you're saying either way. For me, what I look for in the dancer is that they become the vehicle for the intention of the work. In that way, they are not expressing the brilliance of their technique unless that is the goal of that particular choreography. The brilliance of their technique becomes the servant of the intention of the work. Therefore, you are not looking at the how great the person is as a performer, you are looking at the intention of the work. The dancer is not on stage imagining how he looks in the mirror. The he or she, the dancer totally is selflessly giving themselves to the work. If that means that they are running back and forth across the stage 17 times without stopping because they are making a particular statement, they give themselves totally to that. And in that way, because of that selflessness, in that way, the audience becomes connected to that particular dancer, to that particular company of dancers, because 
their heart is there to give the essence of the theme to the audience. They have to let them say, they have to, they have to in a way, erase their own, the, the glory of themselves. <laughs> the technique is there. You have the technique. You have the tools. You know how not to uh, hurt yourself. You know how to bend your back and touch the floor behind you with your hand. However, that's not what the whole thing is about. The whole thing is about whatever it is that the intention of the work is. Choreograph or completely set. Did I answer your question, Adishola? Yeah, I think I think that. I don't that, know if that makes sense to anybody. It makes a, it makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> but I don't know how that might translate into architecture design. So I just want to say that's a little more esoteric than what I said spoke about before, but it's very real. I go to a concert and I see a dancer maybe that dancer can turn on one leg like four times without putting the other foot down. That's quite an amazing feat. So if that dancer is doing that particular move with the thought, isn't this wonderful that I can make these four turns without putting my foot down? For me, that thinking is the thinking of an athlete, a brilliant athlete, a gymnast, or a certain type of athlete. If that person can do that, those four turns, because in those four turns, he's expressing the joy of the fact that he just escaped from some fire or something. I'm just making something up. He, he's got these four turns and these four turns are like, oh my goodness, I, I, I could have been caught up in that fire that was off stage, some kind of technical something that shows like fire. And then, oh my goodness. And then he does these four turns and then, wow, I, I made it. I didn't get caught in that. Then you see the joy of that moment. You as the audience connect with that and not that, my goodness, he is really good because he can do four turns without putting his foot down on what he can turn on one foot. Uh, that's a better example of what I'm trying to say. So the precision, the precision in the work does not outshine the purpose of the work. It seems like something about humanity, that the, the precision in the work is about how you find the humanity. That is what it's for. It's for the humanity, it's for a person. That precision has a purpose and that purpose has to do with human beings and how they feel and how they will be taken care of. We've suggested that different choreographers work in different ways. But for me also, it's, um, it's that the precision is not measurable in, 
you know, like four turns or five feet high or whatever, but the precision is in how you reach into yourself and out of yourself, that it's, it's how you connect. Shall we, shall we go on to our second one? Yes. So uh, we, some, of, some people have just watched, hopefully the, maybe watched the film about Anna Halprin, who was working on the West Coast. Um, and then there were, there was things going on the East Coast as well. There was Grand Union and Judson Church movement. And um, this, one of the books that you recommended for the class is the Grand Union Judson Church movement because you, you've got a, there's a chapter in it there where you were interviewed because of your um, interaction and participation and being a part of that. Would you mind telling us about your experiences during that time and, and work during that time? Okay, so I'll show you this book has just come out. It's called Grand Union. Uh, Trisha Brown, was, who was a very famous choreographer, she passed in 2017. She was one of the dancers with that group. And then we have a couple of pictures in here. That's me way back in the 70s. And then that's me performing and my group, several of us were performing with the pianist Cecil Taylor, brilliant pianist in the jazz idiom. What happened is that there was a period called the Judson Church Movement. It happened simultaneously on the West on the East Coast, while Anna Halperin had her movements on the West Coast. It was a very time, I don't know how, if you have in architecture and engineering where you have people saying, oh, let's get rid of all of those old concepts. Oh, just break it apart. These two movements did that. First of all, years before, the modern dance tradition broke with ballet. This tradition called the Judson Church Movement, it broke with modern dance. It's like, oh, throw all that out, forget it, forget it. And their influence became more like postmodernism. So on the East Coast, where I was in New York, I myself had studied with somebody when I was in college named Judith Dunn, and her associate was a musician, Bill Dixon. And they worked in improvisational, in an improvisational way with the dance and the music. I was really captivated by that. So then when I started my own company in 1972, some of my work was set, very precise, and some of it had improvisational elements. I was doing that in Harlem, in New York. So I used to watch this group called Grand Union because everything they did was improvised. They may have had some idea when they went out there to perform of a theme or something, I don't know, but they were a total improvising group. So this book writes about that. The woman who is the author found out just about two years ago that I used improvisation in my company. However, my whole audience was different from the Grand Union audience because a lot of my audience was mixed race and a lot of black artists and general public 
would come and see my works, especially in the New York area. So when this author, Wendy Perrin, learned that I had some of the same concepts improvisationally as these people in Grand Union who had come out of the Judson Church movement, she was totally shocked. I was in New York at the same time as these people. They came out of the Judson Church movement. She's like, wow, why didn't we know about you? I said, well, Wendy, we had kind of like two different dance communities in that time. So when we would tour and go various places, our, our audience was very, very mixed. However, there, were, there was a more people of color dance community, and then there was the downtown dance community, which was predominantly white. So in this book, she wanted to put a chapter about me because some of my education came from the same education that these people had, but our paths went two different directions. And she wanted to right that wrong, the fact that people didn't know. A lot of people didn't know about my work back in that time. Does that answer that question? Yeah, do you, would you say, do you mind saying a little bit about your work then? Like some of the things that you were doing? Yeah, so I still do this work. So I work with uh, so-called jazz musicians. I say so-called because the musicians I met back in the 70s, they just said they're playing the music. They didn't call it, they didn't put themselves in a box where it's just type of music or that type of music, da 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 and a lot of the music had freedom in it. It was freedom from that particular time. That was a time when everybody was looking for freedom. There was a black consciousness period, with a lot of energy around freedom and the music had that. There was the general freedom of young people trying to break away from the traditions of the past, socially and artistically. So that came out in the music. So I work with these musicians and continue to work with musicians who have that type of freedom in their music and also are very strong compositionally astute musicians as well. So when we work together, we come together in the studio and we influence each other. We have an idea of what our storyline or our theme, our motif is, because we've spoken before. And when we get into the studio, I hear the, the composer doing something. It creates some movement that comes out of me that I share with the dancer. That composer sees what I'm doing and that inspires that musician, him or her to create the next part of next few bars. I hear the next few bars and that brings me to new movement. So back and forth like that. At times we don't know who inspired whom. It's a total like, like that. One creative mind 
I'm sure a number of you have had that experience. You're working with somebody and you don't even know where the ideas have come from. They've come from one, the other, or they come from a place in the middle. So we work that way to create the actual more precise areas. And then we work improvisationally where the dance and the music speak to each other spontaneously in the moment in the way that a musician would improvise with another musician. The dancer and the musician are part of the same band. Every dancer doesn't have that ability. You have to have the technique of an improviser or you have to be taught how to be a great improviser. When people see my work, they can't tell the parts that are set or the parts that are improvised. And that's my intention, that it, it all has a feeling of spontaneity and it all has a feeling of very much thought going into it. Could we talk a little bit about, um, so we talked about embodiment and anti-embodiment and how you, you see movement. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what, you said something about embodiment and I said, I don't see it like that. But now you, said, yeah. you said, you said, I'm almost like an anti, I'm almost like anti embodiment because of the, oh, yes. you're, you're saying that the, the dance is not in the body, but you're trying to see the movement. Yes. Yes. So when I heard Adi Shola speak about embodiment, this would be a very short answer because I want to see the movement. I want to see the dancer's movement. The body allows that movement to happen, but I am not focused so much on the body, the parts. Of, even though I spoke about precision before, I, want, I don't want to see a picture in the space unless there is some particular moment where the person is freezing almost like holding their breath. And even in their holding their breath, because they're like in a frozen suspended moment, there's still movement going on because the person feels the movement of the cells of the body continuously, a coursing through the body. Embodiment, okay. I asked you to define it. I, my work, even the work that I like to see is movement. Your body, for me, your body is the vehicle as a dance. Your body is the mere vehicle for movement. Like we go here, like you were doing that today when you were giving us the warm up, it was so fabulous. When you're going up here like that, like up here, this elbow is going like that. Okay, so for me, you could be like, wow, look at that elbow. I, I, I don't go there. I'm like, look at that movement through the space. That's what I'm talking about. Not like, look at that elbow. Even though I spoke about precision before, the precision is all related to the movement. Wow. 
Where is it going? That's it. That's why I said it'd be a short answer. <laughs> yeah, I, I was trying to get us to feel that a little bit before you would start talking about it. That, that oh, yes, that. I felt it. That was beautiful. Did you want to say anything about, well, you said a little bit about the dancing body and you wanted, you had said you might want to say something about the black body as well. Oh, okay. So, uh, uh, for people could might not know about this, but historically, sometimes people who are dancers, who are African American in their training, have had some obstacles when we have been trained from a Eurocentric point of view. Sometimes there are complaints about our body structure and that our body structure, even though everybody's body is different, there are some things about body structure that are actually genetic and I guess you could call ethnic, or it could be the size of your body. Some of that is changing somewhat, but it's very, very gradual. And so, I think this is what you were talking about, Adishola. Uh, and many people have written about it and shared these experiences that they've had. And that they, some people have gone into the modern dance or contemporary dance field who wanted to be a ballet dancer. But even that discouragement sometimes even comes in the contemporary dance area. So it's, it, there's, that's a challenge you may never have thought about before. So that's a challenge that some of us have, ex have experienced. The body is not the right body or even your color. We won't have a uniformity of color in the chorus. Your color is too brown, too dark brown. It will take away from the uniformity of our chorus of dancers. So those are some things that are historically true and they are somewhat, there are a lot of energy to help change that. That also linked to what you were saying about the movement being not the body itself anyway. That's right, it's about the movement. <laughs> This podcast is possible thanks to the support of the Center for Art, Science and Technology at MIT and the Art, Culture and Technology program, and is done in collaboration with Teatro Mundi. If you want to know more about the class, the program, and or the artists, follow us on Instagram at choreographingthecity underscore MIT, or follow the links provided in your podcast platform. Thank you very much for listening.